Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. The book of 1 Corinthians and the 15th chapter. We are discussing the will of God, will of man. And uh, I will reiterate a few points. And we'll move on. God's eternal purpose in the life of man in the beginning was that man would rule and reign with him as he set up his kingdom on the earth in the earth he crowned him with glory and honor as we saw in Psalm 8 he crowned him with glory and honor we found out that this glory was the very presence of God himself he encircled his man with his own presence man was made a little bit lower than Elohim in other words, he was made a little bit lower than God himself for the purpose of ruling a kingdom in the earth. We saw that Lucifer's rebellion in his attempt to overthrow the kingdom of God was an act of his own will. He said, I will become like the Most High God. But notice anybody that opposes God's will, you know, he can do that if he wanted to because he did it, didn't he? He can oppose the will of God if he wants to, but you'll never win. And so he got cast down into hell, not above God. Then we found out that man tried the same trick. He thought by his own will he was going to become like the Most High God because he listened to that old dummy, the devil. And man submitted his will to the devil. And consequently, we have what is called the fall of man. High treason. Man was dethroned. He was king, but he was dethroned. No longer would he rule over the earth, but Satan now becomes the god of the world, the god of this world. Well, Satan's attempt failed, man's attempt failed, and the only ones that are going to be successful in life are those that submit their will to the will of God. You can choose your will if you want, but there's a great price to pay when you choose to disobey the will of God. Amen? Amen? Now, we found out in John 6, 38 that Jesus said, I am not come to do mine own will, but I have come to do the will of him that sent me. I'm not come to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Jesus' great purpose for coming to the earth was to establish the kingdom of God in the earth. To establish God's kingdom once again in the earth. So that we can reign as kings in life by one Christ Jesus. Not as paupers, not as beggars, not as sick people, but the healthy, redeemed, saved, set free, washed and cleansed by the blood, victorious people. Amen? Amen. That's why he came to the earth. Now, we said that the earth is under the rule of the kingdom of darkness because of the will of Lucifer, because of the will of man. But that is not the will of God, never was and never will be the will of God, that man be subject to the devil, or the earth be subject. Now, in these three kingdoms, the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God, 
We've got the kingdom of heaven. You've heard of the kingdom of heaven, which is not the kingdom of God. They, they could be interchanged. You'll see in the scripture they're going to merge. But they are different. Jesus' kingdom will be set up on the earth when he comes. And that kingdom will be here on the earth. That's the kingdom of heaven. And there's Satan's kingdom of darkness. Now, the kingdom of heaven is universal. That means it's present, existent, and operative everywhere you go. I can take an airplane and go to the other side of the continent, and I can walk up to somebody and I say, Do you know that Jesus Christ died for your sins and was raised from the dead for your justification? And if you'll open up your mouth and confess him as Lord, you'll be born again. And if he does, the kingdom of God will go into operation right there. I don't care where I go. It's everywhere. Existent everywhere. Amen? Amen. Everywhere you go. God is everywhere. But, you know that old devil, that old defeated one, he thought he was going to gain the victory. He thought he was going to dethrone God. He thought he was going to dethrone man. Well, he succeeded in dethroning man. But blessed be God, not when Jesus came. He thought he was going to dethrone Jesus, but he couldn't do that. Amen? Amen? Jesus was the King of glory and is the King of glory, gave up his glory, came to the earth, and recapture that which man has lost. But he said, I am come to save that which was lost. Now, here we see in our scripture, look at verse 24. Verse 24. That these two kingdoms are going to merge. We said the kingdom of God is universal. It's present, existent, and operative everywhere. And it contains in that kingdom all moral instances willingly subject to the will of God. Willingly subject to the will of God. And hear that again. God's kingdom, kingdom of God, contains all moral intelligences willingly subject to the will of God. There's not anybody in that kingdom that doesn't want to be there. Willingly subject to the will of God. That's how you got into the kingdom. Okay, here we see something in verse 24. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father... When he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is expected, which did put all things under him, accepted rather, and when all things shall be subdued. Now look at his last verse here, verse 28. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. That God may be all in all. God will be all in all when his will rules the hearts of every man, the heart and the soul of every man. When God's will rules the hearts and the soul, the minds, of every man and the redemptive work of Jesus Christ has become a reality or let's say a finality then God will be all in all there will not be any need for a savior there will not be any need for a redeemer for man will be saved man will be redeemed and God will be all in all the work is done we reign together forever that's when the merger of these two kingdoms and God is all in all. Do you see that? You've got to understand these two kingdoms. Well, 
That excites me to think about that. But bless God, we've got to think about what we're doing right now. And start operating in this kingdom. Jesus' decision to come to the earth involved two things, and you need to see these. Number one, consecration. Our sister said, I want to consecrate myself totally to God. Consecration. That's submitting your will to God. And principles. We're going to look at two, these two aspects involving Jesus' life and ministry. Consecration and principles. Really the principles of the kingdom. His consecration, consecration means to consecrate to a sacred purpose. The act of consecrating to a sacred purpose of which there is no return. In other words, once you've consecrated yourself, you've made that decision, you do not go back. Someone said that the quality decision is a decision from which there is no turning. If you've made that decision, you made a quality, the quality decision to do something, you do it even unto death. You do it even unto death. Now, the principle, write down this definition as a principle. A principle is that underlying quality or fundamental truth upon which all other things are based. Underlying quality or fundamental truth upon which all other things are based. Let's turn to Matthew 5, <clears throat> verse 1. You're going to be seeing these chapters of Matthew in a different light. Matthew 3 through 7, actually. But we'll stop here at chapter 5 for a minute. A principle, we said, is that underlying quality or fundamental truth upon which all other things are based. Every kingdom has principles upon which it is founded, no matter what that kingdom might be. The kingdom of darkness has principles upon which it is founded. You trace it all the way back to the beginning when Lucifer fell, when it became selfish and full of pride, and you can rest assured that his kingdom is based upon selfishness, greed, hate, fear. All these things belong to his kingdom. These are the principles of his kingdom. Don't love one another. Don't share with one another. You just hate one another. You be selfish and look out for your own good. That's what his kingdom is based on. I think we can give you a better example. You remember way back in the 1700s, 1776, our forefathers, remember way back then when they signed what is called the Declaration of Independence, containing the underlying principles upon which our government was to be founded? Principle number one stating that man was born free and equal because of his birthright. Number two, principle number two, because of his birthright, of his free agency. He had the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And principle number three, that the government rested upon the consent of those that are governed. These are the underlying principles upon which we can call them the foundation principles, or the underlying principles upon which the greatest government, human government, known to this world, in this world's history, was ever founded. The American way the American government. But you see, these are the principles that underlie our American government. Now, if you check out all the other governments in the world, you'll find out that the American government is the best. 
And I'll say this, they're the closest to what God instituted. Amen. You just think about when you say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. One nation under God, indivisible. That's right, the kingdom that cannot be divided. Because we're going to stand together. All men born free, all men are equal. Because of your birthright, you have the right to life, to liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what this country is based on. That's why we've got such abundance in this country. Amen? Now, these are the principles upon which our king, this kingdom here, the American kingdom, is based on. Now, you think that Jesus came to the earth to set up his kingdom, but had no principles upon which it would be founded? No. For sure he did. Here we see it in, in, in chapter 5. Chapter 5, we find the foundation principles upon which Jesus was to build or found his government system, his kingdom. And he's seeing the multitudes, went up to a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mountain and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now, if you were to read all three of these chapters, we call this Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Let's call the Sermon on the Mount the Constitution. Amen? Let's call... These are eight Beatitudes, we'll call them the principles underlying this government system upon which he was to found his kingdom. These are the underlying principles upon which his kingdom would be founded. We can call the commandments. If you read right on through here, you'll find that Jesus listed some commandments in this constitution that he wrote, this Sermon on the Mount. He gave commandments. All those commandments point to love. These are called the laws and the statutes of the kingdom. The laws and the statutes of the kingdom. Next time you read them three chapters, you realize that. That's the Constitution. The Bill of Rights. Declaration. Jesus made a declaration. He said, I declare to you that upon these principles, my kingdom will be established. My government will be founded upon these principles. And the man that meets the standards... The man that stands fast upon what I have spoken will enjoy all the privileges and all the rights of the kingdom. That's what he's saying here. Well, these are the underlying principles of the foundation qualities of the entire structure of the Christian life. You need to write that down. These are the foundation principles or the underlying qualities of the entire structure, the entire structure of the Christian life. Now, we said a principle was a foundation stone. Principle is more important than doctrine. Write this definition down. Doctrine. The rules that detail 
the rules that detail how to carry out the principles. The rules that detail how to carry out the principles. The principle is the foundation stone. But the doctrine, doctrines are the rules that detail how to carry out the principles. What good would it be if we had a set of principles but didn't know how to do it? Then again, what good would it be if we had the doctrine but not the underlying principles? Matter of fact, that's, I'll talk about that here in a minute. Remember in John 16, 13, where Jesus said, How be it when he the spirit of truth has come, he'll guide you in all truth. He shall not speak of himself, but so he shall hear that shall he speak and declare and show you things to come. He was going to guide you in all truth. That word truth is reality. The reality. The ultimate reality lying at the basis of an appearance. The ultimate reality. Truth is the ultimate reality lying at the basis of an appearance. We said he was going to establish these foundation principles. The Spirit of God was going to come, not to show us just the doctrines or to teach us the doctrines. We got the doctrines of faith, the doctrine of confession, confessing of God's Word, resurrection of the dead, faith towards God, etc. So laying on of hands, all these things are the doctrines, uh, foundation, foundational doctrines of the principles of Christ. We know that. But he says he's going to unveil to you the underlying principles. He's going to unveil to us the foundational qualities that structure our Christian life. The Spirit of God would do that. And I'll tell you what, I'm just about ready to jump up and down. Because the Spirit of God has unveiled and unfolded these things in such a way, blessed be God, that anybody, anybody that will adhere to what is being said and set their hearts in motion and just set their life to correspond to what Jesus is stating here in these three wonderful chapters, you will be a man filled with God. You will be a man that's overflowing with the life and the glory of the living God. Hallelujah. Matter of fact, as I was studying this and meditating on this, the uh, Spirit of God was showing me some things. And Well, let me explain this about confession first and, and some other doctrines. We said that the doctrine only involves how to carry out the principle. You will recall... We have what is called the doctrine of the laying on of hands to heal the sick. That is a part of our doctrine. Well, in the beginning, when the church was first started, we found out that the men that were close to Jesus understood the underlying qualities that pertained to the doctrine of laying on of hands. Through the years, after the first 400 years of the early church, somehow those qualities were covered up. And the church was blinded to those qualities, those foundation stones. Now, the doctrine was carried on, but the doctrine was turned into mere formality. Laying empty hands on empty heads, I think one writer said. (laughs) Nothing in it. Nothing there. Just empty. So the doctrine, then, of James 5, 14, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over them, anointing them with the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise them up. And if he committed sins, it shall be forgiven him. 
Pray for one another that you're, you might be healed. But this got so set aside, the underlying principles, the foundation stones upon which this doctrine was founded, was so removed from the knowledge of those that should have been carrying it out, all they did was practice mere formality, mere, just empty hands on people without the Spirit of God. And so what happened was, tradition set in. Now here's what they do. Last resort. Make your plans to have your work done by the doctor. You know, get every method available ready and try it. If none of them work, call for the elders of the church and have them pray. And just hope something happens. And then when nothing happens, nobody gets healed. What happened? May I ask you what happened to this doctrine? What happened to the doctrine of the laying on of hands? It's being used, but to no avail. Why? Oh, bless God for the sweetness of his Holy Spirit. Thank God for the enlightenment that he gives us through the word to show us once again the blood of Jesus Christ that also heals the sick body. The blood of Jesus Christ that washes away all sin and sickness and the diseases. Now, when people start to say that it wasn't any atonement anymore, then they start laying empty hands on empty heads. And the doctrine was pushed aside in some churches, and all they do is just lay them on their, you know, elders or something like that, just for maybe one time a year, just for an office. Well, there's a doctrine of confession. I believe right now, you know, it's, it's not as much as it used to be, but it was really being kicked around for a long time, people being put down. Well, the problem was people was going off and confessing and confessing and confessing and confessing and confessing God's word without the underlying principles, without the foundation stones upon which, you know, it, that doctrine would be built. And so here we have the doctrine without the foundation stones, but then again, some of them believe in the, in the foundation stone but don't have the doctrine. They don't believe in doctrine. And so you see, for some way, I don't know why it is some way the church seems to separate Christ, separate the body of Christ, separate things one from another. And so they end up with nothing. It's like faith without works. They say they have faith, but they have no works. Some have works, but they have no faith. You see what I'm saying? You can't separate the two. If we can ever get the two together, faith and works together, you've got miracles on your hands. If you can ever get the blood of Jesus that covers all sickness and disease and sin, you've got yourself healed bodies when you lay hands on them. That's why these things have got to be said. They've got to be preached. They've got to be taught. And blessed be God, we're going to teach them and we're going to start next Wednesday night. As a matter of fact, we're going to start next Wednesday night and having healing services every Wednesday night. We'll call them anything. Healing services, miracle services, and we're just going to let the Spirit of God move. Father has been dealing with my spirit and the glory of God is in this place and the power of the Almighty has descended upon us. And blessed be God, the name of Jesus is far greater than any sickness or disease that could come to the body of Christ. Amen? And we're just going to let him do, just prove it. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. So you just spread the word around. Blessed God, Jesus is the healer. Well, 
Where were we? Let's take a quick look at Luke's gospel. Jesus was coming to set up his kingdom. He declared the foundation stones or the underlying principles upon which his government would be founded in the Beatitudes. He stated the laws and the commandments that were to govern his kingdom. And of course, you know as well as I do, if anybody would abide and obey the commandments, then he would have the privilege of enjoying all the benefits of the kingdom. Don't you enjoy the benefits of living in the United States of America? Don't you enjoy the benefits of this system that we live in? Sure you do. Amen. Now, if you disobey the law, do you think you're going to enjoy the benefits? Well, you may get away with it for a while, but when they get, you know, caught up with you, look out. Amen? All right. Now, another thing to add to this. Luke's Gospel, the fourth chapter. Jesus here declares. Now, remember, we're talking about the same setting. Jesus is just coming back from his temptation in the wilderness, as he did in Matthew. His consecration, his being anointed with the Spirit of God, his temptation by the devil. And then he comes from the wilderness, and he goes up to the mountain when he sees the multitude, and he begins to give his Sermon on the Mount. Well, over here, he just comes, you know, from that temptation in the beginning of Luke's Gospel, the fourth chapter. And after he leaves and he defeats the devil, he goes into his hometown of Nazareth after he had preached along the way. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, he's already de uh, he declared the underlying principles. He's already talked about what they were. He talked about that constitution and the commandments. Okay? He's talking about the government of heaven, his kingdom, and the rule of his kingdom. Now, he comes to the earth. He sets it up. And he says, this will be the effect of my kingdom in the earth. And anybody that will join in my system will enjoy all the benefits. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord, verse 18, is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. This is called the platform of Jesus. This is the platform of Jesus. He has six planks to his platform. I have come to preach the gospel to the poor. I have come to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Every one of those, all six of those make up the platform of the Lord Jesus. This will be the effect of my kingdom in the earth. I'll set it up. I'll put down the principles of it, the laws that govern it, I give it to you, and this will be its effect in the earth. All these things will be done in my kingdom. And anybody that's in that kingdom will do the same thing. That is the reason why he came to the earth. That would be the effect of his kingdom in the earth. Now, we cannot take these away from his kingdom. All those things are in his kingdom. I wish I had time to expound on that, but we're not going to. Let's go to the 12th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, we will confirm what we said, show you clearly that these are the things that would happen when this kingdom got established in the earth. 
in the 12th chapter, verse 24. Now, I want you to see this clearly. We are talking about two separate kingdoms. We are talking about two separate governments. We're talking about two separate sets of rules and laws that govern each one of them. And now we're talking about two separate effects. One of the kingdom of darkness, one of the kingdom of light. Here it is. Verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if I cast out Satan, or if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. This is an all-out war against the kingdom of darkness. It includes casting out devils. It includes speaking with new tongues. It includes taking up serpents. If you drink any deadly thing, it won't harm you. It includes laying your hands upon the sick and they shall recover. It includes the power and the glory of the Spirit of God in the life of an individual to do these things because you are an ambassador of that kingdom. That is the way we separate the kingdom of God from the kingdom of darkness. Now you see, sickness and disease is part of the kingdom of darkness. Therefore, they have no place in the life of the child of God. Amen. Whatsoever. As a matter of fact, I'll give you more confirmation on that. Mark's Gospel, the third chapter. And, well, let's see here. But verse 13. Now, remember, when you recruit somebody into your kingdom, they have got to abide by the laws that govern that kingdom. They've got to abide by the rules and the regulations. They've got to do and purpose in their heart to do and carry out that which that government wants. What do you think an ambassador does? Well, Jesus was that ambassador. He came to the earth, set up his kingdom, said what he would do, but then he calls unto himself men that will join him in his kingdom. Here they are. He calls these twelve men. He brings them to himself. And he says, you're on my t team, boys. You're on my side now. Look what he does to these men. Verse 13. And he goeth up into a mountain and calls them. Send them forth to preach. Preach the gospel to the poor. And have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. Heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. That was not just for the master. That was for all that were in the kingdom. You heal the sicknesses and you cast out the devils. This is part and parcel of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is part of his earthly kingdom. His kingdom here on earth. Now the kingdom of God is in heaven and on the earth. 
It's in our hearts, which we'll see here in a minute. Now, here's the problem. Go back to Ephesians, the third cha second chapter. Here's where we come to the will and to the consecration. We touched a little bit of the principles. We will touch a little bit more a little later on. In the second chapter, verse 11, God's will is already established. Satan's will is already established. Adam's will was already established. God in his mercy sent Jesus to reestablish his will in the earth so that man could change his mind and will to do the will of God. That's why Jesus came. It was the will of the Father that he come. Okay. But here's the state of man. Wherefore, remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. They did not belong to the kingdom of light. They had no citizenship in the kingdom of God. You know as well as I do, somebody that lives in another country that's born in another country must abide under that government system. If he wants to obtain citizenship in the United States of America because he likes our government system better, then he's got to go through all the legal channels. Amen? Okay. Jesus brought the government of heaven to the earth. He establishes his kingdom. He sets it up. But he says... In order for you to enter into this kingdom, you have got to agree to the principles that I have established and to the laws, abide by them, and enter in. Now, you have a choice to do that. You can will to do that or will not to do that. Beloved, I want to say something to you. Someone says, I'm just waiting to dedicate and consecrate my life. If you are in the kingdom, you have. I said, if you are in the kingdom, you have, and you better do something about it if you don't think you did. I mean spirit, soul, and body. Because if you are in that kingdom, you have submitted and subjected your will to do the will of God, just like Jesus did. Just like the Master did. And we don't have a better example than that. No, consecration comes in the human will. The human will. I mean, that's the only thing we've got to turn over to the Father, is our human will. If we turn that will over to do His will, we are on our way to glory. Amen. There's no question about it. Now, you can stay under the rule of the kingdom of darkness. You can live in sin. You can enjoy the pleasures of sin, if there, is, if there are any. You can take the way that ends in death. You can be governed by the devil. You can be deceived by demon spirits. You can be full of sickness and full of disease. And then you can leave this body probably before your time. And then you can spend the rest of your days in, in the lake of fire if you choose to do the will of this kingdom of darkness. Or you can choose to subject your will to the will of the Father, be born again, Enter into the glory of God, be governed by the Spirit of the living God and the love of God, take a hold of the faith of God, 
Cast out all the devils and all the sicknesses and all the diseases around you. Walk in holiness and walk with God's glory all the days of your life and end up in eternal glory. Take your pick. Take your pick. Take your pick. That's the will. You have to choose. Now, consecration, we said, comes in the will. This kingdom would be set up and established in the heart of man. It starts with the heart. This kingdom would be set up and established in the heart of man. Jesus said, don't look here and don't look there when they say the kingdom of God is coming. For the kingdom of God is within you, inside you. The kingdom that Jesus came to set up would be in the human spirit. And the underlying principles, the eight beatitudes, the rules, the underlying principles that would govern that kingdom would be settled inside the human spirit or inside the heart. These are the underlying qualities that are the structure of the human or the Christian life. Okay, now listen. That human spirit, when born of God, having the divine nature of God, has all those principles established inside that spirit, settled inside that spirit, and we need to abide by them. We need to do that. They're laid out for you in the Word, but when you were born again, they're in there. Everything that you need is in there when you get born again. The life of God is in there when you get saved and you get born again. Now, here we find the second issue. Look, look at the 13th verse. This kingdom would be established and set up in the heart of men. The eight principle or beatitudes with other principles that underlie the underlying qualities of this kingdom. And here we see in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes were far off were made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of command, commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man so making peace. Here's what he did. Matter of fact, let's put it this way. He pulverized the government of darkness. Can I put it in my own speech? The laws, the ordinances... All these things, he set them aside. He pulverized the kingdom of darkness and all his rule by his blood. He made you nigh. Look what it says here. Having borrowed his first image there by even the law of commandments, all that. Verse 16. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enemy thereby, and came and preached peace to you who are far off and to them that were not. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers, foreigners, but fellow citizens. Fellow citizens. You have taken up citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. Issue number two. Issue number one was that this, that this kingdom would be set up in the heart of man. Issue number two. You have become a legal citizen in the kingdom, not in the United States of America. You're already that. With liberty and justice for all. I like that. Don't you? Bless God. Every man is born free and equal. Don't you like that? Well, I've been born into the kingdom of God by birthright and by adoption. That's only two ways you can be born into a family. 
by birthright and by adoption, we have been born into the kingdom of God. We are a citizen of the kingdom of God. We have legal rights and privileges as children of the Most High God. It means all are born into this kingdom free and all are born into this kingdom equal and they have the right to liberty, to health, to healing, and to the glory of their Father God. That's what it means. That's what it means. Hallelujah to Jesus. Then you begin to read the Constitution. You begin to understand the underlying principles. You make sure they're operative in your life. You make sure you're walking in light of the laws and the commandments. Now remember, we say laws and commandments in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, but really, if you'll read them over, you'll find out every single one of them is pointing to love. As a matter of fact, Matthew 5, 44 through 48 is the perfect love walk. Be therefore perfect, as your Father is in heaven is perfect, by loving your enemy and everybody else. All the laws that govern this kingdom head up in love. All that does is explain them for us. So, our mind gets renewed because we begin to understand these principles and understand these laws we renew our mind and we begin to get that life now, that kingdom, that kingdom that's inside your spirit. You get it from your spirit, you get it into your mind. Your soul, your, your soul becomes, your mind becomes renewed by the word of God. All right, issue number three is found in verse, well, let's read on, verse 22, but let's read on right through here. Issue number three concerning the kingdom that Jesus set up. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Individually and collectively, you're going to see that we all become a habitation of God in the Spirit. In whom, look at the next verse, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are building together for an habitation of God in the Spirit. Individually and collectively, we become a habitation of God in the Spirit. When we are birthed into the kingdom, that kingdom is inside us, our minds renewed by the Word, according to the underlying principles, according to the laws and the commandments that govern the kingdom, and then we, by purifying our minds, we become the temple of the living God or the habitation of God in the Spirit in the earth, just as Jesus was. The purpose is to be an ambassador to the world, to demonstrate to the world the practicability, the desirability, the beauty, and the love of the kingdom of God to get all men to desire the rule and the lordship of Jesus Christ to be Lord over their lives in his salvation of men. That is the purpose of the kingdom. That kingdom was not set up so that you cannot go to hell and go to heaven. That's not why the kingdom was set up only. It was set up so that you can be saved from hell, go to heaven, fill your mind with God because your spirit's filled with God, 
fill your body with God, become a habitation of God in the Spirit, and then be an ambassador of that kingdom, and go and preach the gospel to the poor, go and open up the blind eyes, go and heal the sick, go and raise the dead, go and do all the things that this kingdom is supposed to do in the earth, so everybody could see the love of God through you. That's why. Well, John 17, look at John 17, verse 20, and we'll read to verse 23. That tells us, and this is very important that we see this. This illustrates to us, Jesus came to do the will of the Father. Without Jesus, the Father could not express himself in the earth. Without Jesus, who be in the brightness of his glory the express image of his person. Without Jesus, the Father could not express himself in the earth. The Father needed Jesus to express himself into this earth. Okay. Just as Jesus was the expression of God in the earth, so the church has become the expression of Jesus in the earth. Or let's better say it like this. As Jesus expressed the Father in the earth, because he was consecrated spirit, soul, and body. Hear me. Not just spiritually. Spirit, soul, and body sold out, consecrated to God unto death was his consecration. Would not turn back for anything. Okay? That consecration meant that he was a habitation of God in the spirit. The expression of the person of God. I don't know about you, but if I thought what God would look like in the earth, I'd have to say, Jesus. Wouldn't you? healing the sick and raising the dead and, and getting money out of fish's mouth and making bread loaves just, you know, multiply, etc., etc. Boy, bless God, that's God in the earth. Well, let's say it like this then. The church, through Jesus, expresses the Father. See, Jesus was that expression in the earth. We are the body. So really, the Father is expressed through Jesus, through his body. And we are that body. So we become that expression. Be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love. It's exactly what Jesus did. We are to be that expression. Be imitators of God. Walk as he walked. Be that expression of God in the earth. The only way you can do that is when you become that habitation of God. When you become so saturated in God and spirit, God and soul, God and body, that you are God. Breathe all the way through. God's life breathe. Just breathe all the way through. Just flowing all the way through you. See? Like Jesus was. God man. God man. Every incarnation is a partaker of the same divine nature that Jesus was when he was in the earth. Do you see that? Okay. Now, here we see Jesus saying how you would do that. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory... Which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast loved me, and hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. Sent me. Now look, look, go back up. In verse 18. Jesus said... As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them. 
as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them. How were we sent into the world? As Jesus was sent into the world by the Father. The same way Jesus was sent into the world because he willed to do the will of God the Father is the same way you have been sent into the world to do the same thing. Do the Father's will in the earth and you've got to do it with the same equipment that Jesus had. The same way he was sent was the same way you are sent. It goes from the Father to Jesus to you and to me. As an ambassador... You are to represent the government of heaven. Now, I said to you earlier, and I said I'll hold off tonight because I wrote this down. I, didn't, I did not want to let this slip. I did not want the Spirit of God, you know, to be unable to get this to me. Turn to Matthew 7 while I'm saying this. I was meditating on this, and the Spirit of God rose up inside me, and it tore out of me, and I wrote it down. And I said, I'm going to write this down. Bless God, I don't want to miss this. Here we have the, the uh, Constitution. Here we have the principles. Here we have the laws and the commandments. Here we have a man who's ready to give his will, to consecrate his life, to give himself over to God, to do this purpose of God in the earth, to represent the kingdom. Jesus was the only ambassador, yeah, you remember, of that kingdom. Okay? When he came to the earth. He was the one that brought that kingdom into the earth. Now, here's exactly how the Spirit of God said this to me. Look at Matthew 7. Find verse 24. We'll read it after I give this to you. The Spirit of God just rose up in me and said this. When any individual understands his constitution and willingly subjects himself to its principles, its laws, and they characterize his spirit and his soul, the result of his absolute consecration is a transforming of his life into a habitation of God that becomes invincible to the world around him. That becomes invincible to the world around him. You want me to go slower on that? When any individual understands his constitution and willingly subjects himself to its principles and laws and they characterize his spirit and soul, the results of his absolute consecration is a transforming of his life into a habitation of God that becomes invincible to the world around him. And what he's saying is this. The same life, the same glory, the same power, the same presence that encircled Adam in the beginning becomes that invincible force to the man or to the woman that will walk like that. Well, I've got to hurry up. We don't have much time. Time's flying here. Let's, let's, let's look at this verse here. You ready for it? I'm going to give it to you in Scripture now. Then he quickened to me this verse. This is the end of the Constitution. It's chapter 7. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Remember that. That's Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, whosoever heareth these things of mine, all of them, and do with them. I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house. There's the foundation principles. On a rock. And the rain descended. And the floods came. Remember? The rain descended 
in the days of Noah, and the floods came in the days of Noah, and you don't got yourself an ark, you don't got yourself a boat, but blessed be God, look what it says here, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and that house fell not, blessed be God, because it was founded upon a rock, and Luke's uh, gospel translates it this way, he says, and that house could not be shaken, could not be moved, it's an invincible house of God in the earth. Oh, glory. That's what it becomes. Okay. Write down these three things. This involves, number one, acceptance to do the full will of God. Acceptance to do the full will of God. Number two, consecration to fulfill all righteousness. Consecration to fulfill all righteousness. Number three, very simple, even unto death. Even unto death. Our example is Jesus. He says, I came to do the will of him that sent me. His acceptance to do the will of God. He leaves the glory world. He empties himself. I'm just, I'm just going to give you the scriptures. I'm not going to take down and read them. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. He empties himself. That's spirit. The glory that he had with the Father. He empties himself of that glory up there. Hebrews 2, 14 through 16. His purpose for emptying himself and coming to the earth was to take on the condition of mankind. Okay? To do the will of the Father. To come to the earth, empty himself, to take on the condition of mankind. That's your principle number one. Remember number one says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay. Jesus, this is an emptying of yourself. This is an emptying of your light. Now hear me. Jesus was in glory. His birth into this realm was his first step of emptying himself of his glory, stripping himself of his life, that would not be done until he ended it in death. It was the first step of emptying himself of his life would, that would end in his death. He said, even unto death. Philippians said, he stripped himself, he emptied himself, and went as far as the extreme of death, even the death of the cross. Okay, but listen. He strips himself of his glory, those that are poor in spirit. He sees the condition of humanity, and he considers to the kingdom of heaven that he's going to establish in the earth to be far greater, of far more greater importance than him staying up in glory. So he takes the first step, that's the birth into this life, to strip himself of that life, okay, that will eventually end in death. We take the opposite effect. We take the first step in being born again into divine life. Now hear me. Total consecration to strip ourselves of this life. See? Total stripping of this life which will result in its end everlasting life. The reversal of the process. That's why he said poor in spirit. Strip yourself of this life as he stripped himself of spirit life, that life, 
the first step was taking on humanity to fulfill the needs of humanity that would result in his final death really the end of his life do you see that so that you can take that first step into that life strip yourself of this life hear me Every born-again believer can strip himself of this life until the glory of the Lord radiates your very being. Until every pore is oozing out the glory and the power of the Spirit of God. I mean, just the lightnings of God just flow out of your person. We can do it. We can do it. We can strip ourselves. Hebrews 5, chapter 5, 12 through 14 said, He is not yet discern good from evil because he has not exercised himself his spirit man he did not exercise you see stripped himself of the senses or the fleshly life this is total consecration total dedication well this ended in in the death of our lord we know that as a matter of fact let me give you a very quick turn you're in matthew turn to the third chapter i'll give you a very quick illustration of this you remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and he said, What should I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, Do you know, obey the laws and the commandments, and thou shalt not blow, you know, all these things. Okay. The man said, Well, I've done all that since I was a youth. What am I going to do now? And Jesus said, Now, he said, There's one thing you lack. There's one thing you lack. There's one quality you're lacking in your life. Sell all you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. That was the what he was. He would not become that poor in spirit. He did not want. See, that was not his riches. That was his spirit. His spirit wanted to hold on to that. What is worth all the money in the world? What will a man pay for his soul? Nothing is worth that. That one quality, one characteristic of that man's life stopped him from taking that awesome step. That would have been the first step in his stripping himself of that life. Now listen, you'll love this. An apocryphal story says that that man's name was Barnabas. And that man Barnabas, after Jesus rose from the dead, sold all that he had and followed him. Bless God, he couldn't stand it when the resurrection came and took place. That's what it says. The apocryphal books. Writes and says that man's name was Barnabas, who walked with Paul. He did it. Praise God, the Spirit of God finally got to him and changed his will. Amen? Yes. He helped the man to change his will. Think about it. See, that's what God's Spirit will do to you. Okay, here we see the consecration of Jesus. Total consecration. This is what it is. If you're going to be totally consecrated to God, here it is. Verse 13, 3.13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have no need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. And Jesus answered, said unto him, Suffered to be so now, for thus it become if us to fulfill, to fulfill all righteousness. Here he was submitting himself to the baptism of John. He says, It is becoming for me to fulfill all righteousness. I have made a consecration to my Father God. I have made a declaration to my Father God that I will fulfill all righteousness. You can't make, you can't make a commitment greater than that. He will fulfill every aspect of righteousness, even baptism in water. If you haven't been baptized in water, don't wait any longer. There is something about doing everything that God wants you to do now when you know it. I mean now, from the word go. 
That's the only way you're going to grow in God. You, you, you consecrate yourself to fulfill all righteousness. As a matter of fact, let's not say consecrate yourself. You better start doing it. Because First Peter 2.24 said, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. Let's forget about the last part for a minute. By his stripes you were healed. But praise God. Let's put it this way. If you live unto righteousness, the healing will be just flowing. Amen. If you will fulfill all righteousness, God's glory is flowing through your person. And that's healing. That's healing. That's healing in your body just like that. Okay. Right after that, you find something very... Now, notice we're in chapter 3. Now, we're going to chapter 4. We're going to chapter 4. Notice right after this consecration, the Spirit of God comes and lights upon him like a dove. Anoints him with power from on high. And immediately, the Spirit of God leads him into the wilderness. Remember back in the book of Leviticus, 16th chapter, two goats. One was taken by rope and tied around his neck and taken to the wilderness to be let go into the wilderness to die after three days. The other one was the spotless one that would be sacrificed, that burning, burnt sacrifice. Okay. The Holy Spirit becomes Jesus' Levite. And he leads him into the wilderness, okay, to be tempted to the devil, not for the three days, but for three years. Wilderness is, is symbolic of the world. The Spirit of God is on him. The glory of God is on him. His consecration is made. Spirit, soul, and body. I'm going to fulfill all righteousness. No matter what they say, I'm going to fulfill all righteousness. That may already made in his life. And here he is. Every consecration, every dedication that you make to God will be contested by the evil one. Adam said he can do it, but he didn't. He failed. So here's Jesus now in the wilderness. He's in the, in the world. He's off. He's already starting his ministry now. I mean, the power of the Most High is upon him now, and the glory of God is upon him now. He fasts 40 days, and here comes the tempter to tempt him in all three realms. Notice he starts in the first realm. He starts at, with his belly, with food. And he says, if you consecrate yourself wholly unto God, you go ahead, you're so hungry, you make bread out of these stones. Jesus stood him to the face and said, Adam filled with the first temptation, his belly, food. Right. Oh, beloved food will stand, stand in between you and your God. Did you know that? Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.